If you want to, you can be turning in your Bibles to, uh, if you have one, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's a good thing you guys love the Bible in here. You love the Bible, don't you? Amen. Amen. Yes, you do, because we're going to read a lot of Bible this morning and, and unpack the scriptures. It's going to be exciting. I want to speak to you this morning about knowing the mind of Christ. And you know, knowing the mind of Christ is something that takes place when you've been with the Lord and you begin, he begins to share his heart with you. Just this past week, I told Andrea I was going to use this one on her, but you know, she's, she's not working right now because she's off because of the summer because she's a school teacher. And she was spending time, you know, I got home uh, one afternoon there toward the evening and I came in and she had the Bible laid out and was writing some stuff. And sometimes we joke around with each other and we just get a little bit sassy with each other, you know what I'm talking about? And I said to her, I said, I said, what, you know, who's got you so sassy this evening? She said, well, I don't know. I ain't been with nobody but the Lord. I said, so the Lord made her sassy, you know, she had, she had tapped into the mind of Christ and he had made her just a little bit sassy that evening. Um, amen. Well, we're going to speak about knowing the mind of Christ. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. After service, we're going to be having a baptism. Daryl Gamble's going to get baptized. We're excited about that, so hang around with us. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read a lot of scripture and just let it kind of soak right into you. Um, beginning at verse 1. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray over this together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you for the wisdom that you give, God, but your wisdom comes from above. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this word and, and you would speak through me this morning and you would open our ears and our hearts to receive what you are saying to us. And I pray that you'd challenge us all, God, 
But Lord, you would encourage us at the same time to press toward you, Lord. And we ask that you would give us the very mind of Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So Paul begins this. And he says, when I came to you, he's speaking to the Corinthians. He said, I did not come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. He said, I determined not to know know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, when Paul went to Corinth, he had just got done preaching at a place called Mars Hill where all of the philosophers gathered. And most people in Acts 17, when they look at the message that he preached, they say this is one of the best well-formed sermons that's preached in Scripture when they look at it. Most scholars would say that. But when he got done preaching this message, he actually didn't convince many people that Jesus Christ was truly Lord of all the universe. He didn't convince many people. And so when he gets done, I believe that he's, 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 he's wrestling with himself about what he had preached just the way that we always do every time preachers get done preaching. They get the Monday blues. They wonder, did I preach the right thing? Did I say the right thing? And as he's going to Corinth, he says, you know what? When I go to Corinth, I'm changing my whole, my whole way of doing things. He says, when I go to Corinth, what I'm going to do is I'm going to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to preach the gospel in its simplest terms. And when I preach there, I'm not going to try to appeal to their intellect or try to try to impress them with how persuasive I can be with my words. Because at the end of the day, the gospel is never about convincing somebody to believe in Jesus. Amen. The thing that we believe is almost unbelievable. We believe that a man was born of a virgin, died on a cross, and was raised from the dead. And like, like Donald says all the time, when he comes back, he's coming back in the heavens riding a white horse. This is almost unbelievable. It would be hard to convince the rational mind about what we believe in. But see, this is not a rational gospel. And he said, when I came, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of, me, of men, but in the power of God. See, here's the, here, and here's, here's the point of what he's saying. He's saying that this gospel, and he'll even go on to say in the same letter, that the gospel is not only in word, but it's in power. It's not just about what you can say or how well you can articulate it or how well you can put an argument together, but it is demonstrated by a transformed life that is full of the power of God, that's full of the Holy Spirit, and when God moves, things change. When the gospel is preached, what does not happen is we get a bunch of people who just know more stuff about God. When the gospel is preached, the power of God is released, lives are changed, bodies are healed, people are set free from oppression, and they are transformed transformed to the degree that the power of God is revealed. Amen. And he's saying your, your faith cannot rest. And, and I, I hear this all the time when you talk to people, they say, well, my pastor said, and man, my pastor's just amazing. And my pastor's smart, intelligent. Forget your pastor. Amen. And I'm all y'all's pastors, by the way. But the point being is you are not to rest your faith in how well I can preach. Your faith is to rest in the power of God and God's ability to transform your life and the lives of people around you. And Paul is saying this is what it's got to be because in the last times he goes on to say that there will actually be a group of people, people who are in the church, that they have a form of godliness but they deny God's power in their life. And you know that's happening more and more as we go about in our lives. That people go to church, they have a, they're in small groups, they have a form of godliness, but God's power is not operating in their life. There's nothing changing about them. There's no flow of God's glory released in their life. 
And they're staying exactly the same, but they still go to church. See, we believe in the power of God being released. And, and, and Paul said, listen, he said in, in the book of Romans, he said, when I preach the gospel, he said, I'm not even going to tell you all the things that Christ did through me. He said, to fully preach the gospel in signs and wonders and mighty power and deeds through the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, from Jerusalem all the way up to Illyricum, I have fully Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when we get done with this thing and we come before Jesus, I want to be able to say, Lord, we didn't just get up and say a real nice message every Sunday, but we fully preach the gospel of Christ. We release the word of God, and we believe that when we release the word of God that you were going to stretch forth your hand to heal and to do signs and wonders among the people, God, to let them know that your power is still real and you're still moving in the earth. He said, that's where your faith needs to be in the power of God. But he goes on and he says in verse six, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now, I love this. He says, we speak the wisdom of God, the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery. And now, when, when I remember when I first started reading this chapter, I'm like, Lord, I don't even know what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. And you ever been like that way reading the Bible? You just, you're reading it, you're like, Lord, I have no clue what you're saying, but this sounds amazing. And I remember I memorized all these verses in chapter two, and I was just thinking about it over and over and meditating it. And the Lord began to show me something, and he said, we are speaking the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery. And he says, it was ordained before the world began for our glory. Now, that's crazy because most of us, especially in a religious uh, 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 Bible Belt mindset, we would never say anything would be done for our glory, would we? It's all God's glory. It's all God's glory. And listen, it, all, it is all for God's glory. But do you know how God is glorified in this earth that he's chosen to do it? He has chosen to glorify himself through his creation of humanity. The way that God is glorified is when he fills you with his spirit and he makes you begin to reflect his image and you become a carrier of his glory. When, you, when, when people begin to see your life and they see your life and they say, man, that, uh, that is something that only God could do. Only God could have brought them out of that darkness. Only God could have taken such a selfish person and made them such a generous and loving person. And that's when God's glory is revealed. And God says there is a hidden wisdom that was ordained for your very life before the world was even created. And here's what I love. Because God took this wisdom that, that he saw and he saw your life played out. And he said, there's going to be wisdom for every step in their road of what I intend to make them and how I intend to glorify my name through them and what I intend to do through them and in them and transform them and make them look like Christ. And he said, but I can't entrust it to any angel because if you know, God knew a third of the angels were going to fall. I can't entrust it to any angel. I can't just put it in a shelf on a bottle. So I'm going to hide this wisdom within myself. And whenever Jesus comes and redeems them, I will put myself in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that his hidden wisdom will now be imparted to them on the inside. You with me so far? All the wisdom you will ever need as a born-again Christian is hidden on the inside of you. But let me tell you something. It's not hidden from you. It is hidden for you. Because the way that God has designed things is he will not give anything to a person unless that person first chooses to seek. This is why Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open. For he who asks will receive, he who seeks shall find, and he who continues to knock, finally that door will be open to him. It's a persistence of seeking God because there are things that God wants to give you, but he cannot give them to you until you have a heart to seek after it. 
Now that's good this morning. Because many of you, you've been sitting back waiting on God to do something in your life, thinking that a little uh, check in your devotion list or whatever is going to get it. And God's saying, you need to be moved in your heart to the point where you realize that there's something hidden. And it's not hidden from you, but it's hidden for you. And if you could tap into it, it would drastically change who you are and what you do in this world for his glory. And so he says it's intended for our glory. Now, this word glory is this word in the Greek language. It's called doxa. And it means it's, it's the light and the radiance and the character of God. Let me, let me put it to you like this. Jesus Christ was a human being that was complete. He had the full manifestation of the glory of God in his life. He was the full revelation of God's glory, but he was in a human being. And what he's saying is, is that there is this glory, this anticipated what God intends to do through you and in you. So that the world around could see God through you. He says it is intended. He did it before. He had it planned before the world even began. And it was for your glory so that people could see God's radiance, God's love, God's light, God's glory. And it would come through you. He said it was all about what God would do through you. And even Paul said in Colossians 1.27, he said that this gospel that we preach, God wants people to know the mystery of the riches of this gospel. And he says it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ living on the inside of you is the hope of God being revealed to this earth. Now in verse 8, he says, he says, which none of the rulers of this age had known, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, he's speaking specifically about Satan and against the, about the demonic powers. And he says, if Satan and the demonic powers would have known what God could potentially do through you, he would never have even crucified Jesus. You realize that? He thought that when he killed Jesus, he was going to get rid of the glory of God being revealed in the earth. He thought if he could kill Jesus, he was going to get rid of lives being transformed, of people being healed, of people being set free from his demonic bondage. But what he didn't realize is that when Jesus was crucified, he signed his death warrant and there was a release of power. So not only would now Christ be the one that was bringing deliverance and healing and freedom into the world, but it could happen through any individual person who would now believe in and follow Jesus Christ and allow themselves to be filled with his spirit. If he would have known that, he would have never even touched him. He would have let him live. He would have let him live a long life because he said, I'd rather have one going around doing this than millions scattered all over the earth finding out what their purpose is in God and being anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation and to bring my kingdom down. I don't want no part of that. If you only knew your potential in God, if you only knew what God was thinking and what he is planning, because he goes on to say, but as it is written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now we read that and that's a very popular verse and people read it and they say, man, that's a heaven verse. Eyes not seen, ears not heard. It's not even entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And there are things that your eye has not seen about your life and what God has prepared for you. You just have not even seen it. He said, not only that, you've not heard it yet. It is not even in your imagination begin to enter your heart what God could really do through your life. And we think, we think, man, that's a heaven verse. When we get to heaven, we'll see those things, we'll hear those things, except for the next verse says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. He's saying these things that are hidden, that eyes not seen, that ears not heard, that it's not even entered your heart. He says the spirit is now revealing, those, revealing it to those who will choose to seek his face and understand him. God wants to reveal these hidden mysteries, these hidden things to you 
so that you can see what eye has not seen and hear what ear has not heard. And all of a sudden you can begin to dream and imagine what has not even entered the human heart about the possibilities of what God can do through your life. Then he says, verse 11, says, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now, he talks about two spirits that are at war with one another, the spirit of God and the spirit of this world or the spirit of this age is what it's speaking of. And he says, listen, folks, as Christians, you've not received the spirit of this world. You've not received the spirit of this age. And the spirit of this world is that which tries to pressure you and mold you to be like everybody else in this world, to think that what you need to chase is money and more material possessions and that you need to be loose in, in your morality and in your sexuality and you need to think like the rest of the world is thinking and you need to give up your values. And God is saying, you have not received the spirit of this world, but you have received the spirit of God so that you can tap into another kingdom that you can receive things from heaven that are not governed by this world they're not governed by this earth so you don't think like the rest of the world you don't rely on the things that this world relies on but you rely on God and he says you have the spirit of God that is revealing to you what is freely given to you by God and he's saying look the spirit of God has been given to you so that you could know the full extent of what Jesus has done for you on the cross so that you could know the thoughts of God and that he would show you the things to come. And let me tell you something. When you begin to develop a relationship with, with, with the Holy Spirit, you begin to have imaginations. You begin to see things. You be, he begins to give you images. And sometimes when you're in worship, your heart just begins to pound because you can imagine yourself stepping out on faith and doing things that you've never done before. Anybody been there with me? But then reality sets in and the spirit of this world comes back and says, that's not who you are. You can't do that. This is like fairy tale stuff. You can't really step out and see God move in those miraculous kinds of ways in your life. You can't expect God to do those things. Just be a normal Christian. I mean, for, for the love of God, just go to church, be a normal Christian, read some scripture every now and then, just be a decent person. And God is saying that is nowhere near what I've called you to. Don't allow the spirit of this world or American Christianity or religion govern what God wants to tell you about who you are. Don't allow it to happen any longer, he's saying, because there's things that you've not imagined that he wants to reveal and he's given you the spirit so that it could be revealed to you. And he says, these things we also speak. See, we're, we're trying, when we meet on Sundays, what we're trying to do, and there's even a movement in the world, and I've talked about this. Now, I, I believe that we need to make the gospel as simple as possible for those who have never heard it. But at the same time, there are deep things of God. The Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And I'm telling you, the majority of Christians, their entire lives stay right on the surface. They never tap into the deep things of God. And even in, in church growth models, the idea is, hey, don't go deep. Don't go too deep because if you go too deep, you'll lose people and people won't come to your church. Well, listen, we're not really after a whole bunch of people coming to our church. We're after the true children of God becoming what God called them to be in the earth. Amen. Because if, they, if you become what God called you to be, then we're going to see thousands of people give their life to Jesus. But if we just stay surface level, we may pack this building full of 5,000, 10,000 people, but every single one of us be sitting on the surface just hanging out, wondering where, when. When is God going to show up and give us true victory? 
When is God going to reveal himself and do something in us that we've never imagined, but we can't get there because we're unwilling to allow the Spirit of God to do something in us beyond ourselves? And he says, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, how many times have you been in church and you've seen something happen and, and you wonder whether it's of God or you wonder whether it's not? And you say, man, that's just foolishness. You ever been there? I know people that admit to saying that. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen a lot of foolish things in church. Amen. I've seen some weird stuff that probably was not even close anywhere to God. But there are things that God does that the natural man, your carnal mind, cannot receive. My personal opinion, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, but my personal opinion is, is, is this is the reason why the first spiritual gift that God gives is the gift of tongues. Because he has to dethrone your carnal mind. For you to step into the things of God, he gives you a gift that whenever you first hear it, your carnal natural mind says, that is lunacy, that is foolishness, I do not receive that. And your natural man will never be able to receive the things of the Spirit of God. But see, if you can dethrone your natural man, and I'm not asking you to not think we need to be a thinking people. We don't need to be ignorant, we need to know the Word of God, we need to be intelligent about what we're thinking. But at some times, in order to be led by the Spirit of God, you have to dethrone your natural mind and say, God, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense to me. But I sense that in the Spirit, we're comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I sense that in the Spirit, God, you're doing something. So renew my mind to think in terms and let me be spiritually minded. Because to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death. Y'all hanging with me, right? Then he says... In verse 15, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now that is one of the most amazing statements I've ever heard. You have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes, even this morning, I mean, I woke up, I got up pretty late actually for a pastor. You know what I'm saying? I got up late. I, I wasn't thinking clearly. I was just like, Lord, I know what you're trying to say this morning. I got a feeling I've been thinking, meditating on it all week, but I'm tired. You know what I'm saying? It took me, my, my natural mind was not quite there yet. And I think to myself, when I'm thinking in these terms, that cannot be the mind of Christ. And what the Lord revealed to me is he says, now your mind, the way you think, Clay, it's not always the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is hidden in your spirit where the Holy Spirit dwells. And if you begin to develop a relationship with me, you have the potential to tap into my thoughts, my wisdom, my thinking, my instruction, my guidance, all of those things, so that then in your mind you can begin to think in agreement with me and what I want to do in your life and in the earth. Amen? So have you ever thought about what God thinks about you? Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever thought about, man, God, what are you thinking in this particular area? Let me read a few verses to you. Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. It says, every single moment you are thinking of me. I love that, don't you? This is God. Every single moment you're thinking of me, Lord. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every seashore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. I love that. Let's look at the next verse. Jeremiah 29, 11, Everybody's favorite verse, right? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you. Next verse says, 
Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So you begin to see this theme of God having thoughts about you and these thoughts being unlocked when you choose to pray and you choose to seek the Lord and they begin to be unlocked to you. Look at Psalm chapter 40, verse 5 through 10. Psalm 40, verse 5 through 10, it says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. Constantly they're talking about God's thoughts. They cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. His thoughts toward you, you can't even count them up and number them. And then he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, you've got all of these thoughts about me and I can't even count them. And he says, all of a sudden, I'm beginning to open up to what you want and what you desire. And he says, what you desire is not religious ritual. You don't desire me just bringing the offering and bringing the sacrifice, but you desire in a person who delights to do your will. And he says, I'm beginning to see that you've written something in a book about me. There's divine purpose about my life that I can't even imagine. And how do I unlock this divine purpose in my life? I unlock this divine purpose in my life when I say no longer am I just going to go through the motions of religious ritual, but I'm going to desire and long to do the will of God and say, God, whatever you're thinking, whatever you want to do in my life, I surrender to it and I ask you to do your will through my life and all of a sudden you begin to see this book open before you. Are y'all hearing me this morning? See, it's important that we understand this because in order to unlock, we, many of us were locked out of the mind of Christ. We're locked out of the mind of Christ because we have chosen to just stay in a religious form of ritual where we never press into the deeper things of God. We never seek God out for his answers and we never move into these things. And he's saying, we've got to move into this place where we desire to do his will. And I love what it says. He says, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. In verse nine, he says this, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O oh Lord, you yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Now, here's what he's saying. The thoughts of God, the will of God is unlocked to who? The person who says, God, I'm not going to restrain my lips. I'm not going to conceal your righteousness or your faithfulness, but I'm going to speak. If you put me in the multitude of all sorts of people who know you, who don't know you, it doesn't matter. God, if you put me before people, I will open my mouth and I will proclaim your truth. I will not conceal what you have done in my life. I will not hide the truth from the people out here who are without because I believe that God, you you have given me eternal life. You've transformed my life and there's no way I can conceal that from everybody else. In the prayer meeting this Wednesday, we were praying and we were discussing and Tabitha and I were talking. We were talking about, we were in this prayer meeting where all these pastors and leaders had come from all over the state and this young man walked in and, 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 and he, had, he's, he was a drug addict. He had slept on the street the night before and Tabitha was just sharing her story about you know how this man came in but it seemed like there was such tension in the room. For Jesus people, people that had come together in a prayer meeting, but somehow there was this, this, this difficulty in sitting down and ministering to this guy. Somebody amen me this morning. 
Because we can come and preach the gospel and hear the sermons and do all of those things. Those things are easy. But what about when the Spirit of God says, I want to do something in your life that you've not even heard of yet. I want you to step out into the public sphere and begin to open your mouth and begin to pray for the sick and begin to lay hands on people who are addicted and believe me to transform their lives. What about when that happens? What about when he begins to move in you and stir in you and, you, and your cry is not, Lord, no, Lord, I just want to go through the sacrifice. I just want to go through the regular religious ritual. But all of a sudden there's a cry in your heart and you say, no, Lord, I desire to do your will. I know I can't do it on my own, but I'm asking you to do something in me. I want you to change my heart. I want you to change who I am. And he does that. And you know, that, that guy ended up giving his life to Jesus that day because somebody sat down and began to talk to him about Jesus and began to minister to him. But I hear people all the time. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm just not the person that gets up and speaks in front of people. And I told him, I told him this Wednesday, guess what? As a Christian, that's not an option. As a Christian, you don't get to be the person that doesn't just get up and speak in front of people. As a Christian, he has put the fire of God's spirit in your life. And Jesus was adamant about it. He said, wait for the promise of the Father because why? When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon me, you will be witnesses unto me. That means no matter who you are, if you name yourself a Christian, there will be a fire in your heart. Yes, you may be fearful, but you push past the fear. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit overrides the fear that is hindering you from your calling and your destiny. And I fight with this myself. I'm not preaching this from a place of, man, I've got this figured out. I'm preaching this from a place of there have been seasons when the fire of God's Spirit leads me to do things that I'm incapable of. And there are seasons when I get lazy and I'm not seeking God's face and I get dormant and I let the gift of God die within me. And I'm seeking God and I'm coming back to Him and I'm saying, Lord, I've not even spoken to anybody about you, your name and glorified you to nobody that knows you in a month. I've not even spoken to anybody, God. Do something in my heart. Let it burn once again. I'm ready to step out. I'm ready to speak. I'm ready to do what you're calling me to do. And see, he's doing that. He's doing that in our hearts right now. But, you know, I'm telling you, it, it is so, even as a preacher, it is so easy for me to even be, be praying and receiving what I'm receiving and saying, in my mind, there's this voice that says, Clay, you shouldn't preach that hard. You should just calm down and preach kind messages and just go through the motions and don't challenge people because they don't like that, Clay. You know what that's called? It's called the spirit of the world. It's called the spirit of this age that would prefer for all of us to stay dormant, to never tap in to what God has called us to do, to never step out in faith and believe God for greater things. And he says, you've not received the spirit of this age. You've not received the spirit of this world, but you've received the spirit that is from God where he begins to reveal your thoughts. Now, let me tell you something. God wants to do great things through you, but you are boxed in by what you think about yourself. Just say amen to that right now. You are boxed in by what you think about yourself, by what has happened to you in your life, by your experiences, by the sins of your past, by the things that have happened to you, the people around you that have said things to you. And God is saying, I'm thinking so much bigger thoughts about you and your life and the plans for your future. No matter what age you are, no matter what you've done, I'm thinking bigger things about your life than you are thinking right now. Can you just agree with that is what he's saying. Can you come into agreement with me about that and say, Lord, I have no idea who I really am. And you don't. Somebody said, well, I'm just not that kind of person. Let me tell you something. You have no idea who you are when you're full of the glory of God. You have no idea what you'll do when the fire of God's Spirit gets a hold of you. 
You don't have no idea. He intends on making you like Christ. The end goal is for you to be like Jesus, not for you to be a better version of you. He's making you like Jesus. And the more you see yourself doing what Jesus did, guess what? The more you're becoming the true you. The true you is not what you've done. The true you is when you start looking more and more like Jesus. Man, that's good stuff this morning. Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9. I love these verses. Just come into agreement with them. For my thoughts, says the Lord, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. He's saying there's a heavenly way of thinking and there's an earthly way of thinking. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he is looking for somebody to come into agreement with him and say, Lord, what I think about myself is not what you're thinking. When I look at my future and I think about what, what you could possibly do through me, I'm, I'm thinking about something that is totally different than what you're thinking. But see, why are, why are many of us locked out of this mind of Christ? Let's look at it for a second. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. I want to read this quickly. It says, Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Now notice this. He's given us the key to the mind of Christ. The basic key of the mind of Christ, what is the golden rule? Do unto others is what you would have them do unto you, right? It's literally about laying down your own life so that you can be a servant of others. That's what unlocks the mind of Christ. And he says, next verse, And consider the example that Jesus the Anointed One has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. One translation says, Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory. By reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant, he became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Now, here's what he's saying his mindset is. Here's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is this, is that even though he was God, he was God in the flesh. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in him. And even though he was God, he didn't come in and parade himself like a king and take ownership and rulership over everybody. Instead, he actually took a step after step down. He took upon himself flesh and became human. He lowered himself. But then once he became a human, he wasn't a king. He wasn't any of those things. He became a servant to all men. He took a step down. But then it says not only that, but he chose to become completely obedient to the Father's will, even unto death. He allowed humanity to kill him, and even worse, he took upon himself the death of a criminal. Though he was the highest of all the world, he went to the lowest part. And it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Now, let me ask you something. How many Christians in the world, they actually serve God for reputation? They serve God for themselves, for bettering themselves. For, for going. And look, it's not wrong that you want to be a better person. God wants you to want that. But at the end of the day, being a better person means that you are taking steps down into servanthood. And the more that you move downward, the more God begins to exalt you into a place of honor. 
But see, we want to be launched into the place of honor from the get-go before we ever take a step down. And he says, this is why we're locked out of the mind of Christ. And Jesus himself, it says that he emptied himself and he limited his own divinity as a man. So even though he was God, he said, I'm going to enter completely into the human experience and show you what it looks like to be completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father speak. I do nothing of my own self. And he says, and the father is showing me everything that he does so that you may glory in this also. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm teaching you what it means to be a human in right relationship with the Father. And I want you to imagine this because Jesus was the Son of God, wasn't he? But as he's growing up, listen, he prayed more. I, I always wondered about that. Jesus is God, yet he prays more than all of us combined. You ever thought about that? If I, I feel like if I was God, I would be like, I don't need to pray. I already got this thing. The power's already in me. But he emptied himself and became a human to demonstrate to you what it was like to be a human in right relationship with the Father. And he said, as you grow, the same way that I'm growing in spirit and I'm growing in wisdom and in favor and in stature with the Lord God and with man, he said, as I'm growing, it's the same way that you can de develop a relationship with the Father. And the Father will begin to show you in the secret place things about yourself and who you really are that you've never known before. The reason Jesus could stand up and say, boys, I'm going to the cross is because he went into the secret place in prayer with the father and the father revealed to him, son, you're going to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world because you are the son of God, the eternal word of God. And the father was revealing to him his true nature and his true plans for him. And in the same way, when you come to God in prayer, and you develop a life of communion. Let me tell you something, folks. Your devotion to God is everything. Your devotion, and it's not about just coming to church on Sundays. Listen to me. Coming to church on Sundays is essential. But this has got, what we do on Sundays is to propel you into a life of devotion with the Father where we don't have to tell you every Sunday who you are because you already know because you've heard the Father's voice in the secret place. You know who you are. And week by week, you come in with reports of what God has done through you to encourage the congregation around you. And you say, you know what? I gave myself to God and I began to pray and seek God's face. And he showed me something that I had not seen before. I had not heard before. It not even entered my heart. And I prayed for somebody and that person was healed. That person was saved. That person is transformed. Here they are. Let us grow together as the body of Christ. Amen. He's showing you something in the secret place. If this is the only food that you get is on Sunday morning, you're going to be locked out of the mind of Christ. You're going to be locked out. You don't want to be locked out. You want to be tapping into what he's speaking and what he's saying and, and, and hearing from him. And our devotion is everything. See, Jesus had a singular focus. When I think about the mind of Christ, I, I think about how he went. And he, and he wasn't ministering to the religious people. He was ministering to the broken, to the afflicted, to the prostitutes, to the sinners, to the tax collectors. And it says over and over again, he had great compassion. Great compassion on those who did not know God. Great compassion on those who were broken. And he was always ministering to them, always reaching out. And you know, Satan knew what he was going to do. That's why he tried to thwart his plan. He didn't know how he was going to do it, but he knew that his ultimate purpose was redemption. And he said, man, I've got to tempt him to try to get him to abandon the cross. Ultimately, the temptations that you and I face, every one of them are to abandon the cross. Amen? It's to give up and say, no, I need to hold on to my life. 
Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He said, until you lose your life, you'll never find your life in me. And I'm going to tell you something. So many Christian people, including oftentimes myself, are at the point where we're just not quite willing to lay down our lives. What we want to do is keep our own lives and then come to Jesus so he can add on to the lives that we're now holding on to. And he cannot do that because you have to choose to lay it down. And then he says, then you'll find what true life is. It's not about you and what about what you want or even your thoughts about yourself. You have to be willing to renounce your own thoughts about yourself and say, God, I'm going to the cross. I'm willing to die in order that your life might be manifested in me. And Satan comes to Jesus and he says, listen, if you're the son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? He said, why don't you just focus on your own self, on your own needs, on your own interests, on your own desires. Focus on what you want. And Jesus said, no, it's not, it's not about that. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not about your carnal worldly desires. It's not about what job you want, how much money you want, how many children you'd like to have. It is not about any of those things. It is about hearing what God is saying for me in this moment and saying, God, I'm laying down my life to serve others. And he said that. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm, it's not about what I want right now, how I feel. The second temptation, he says, he says he takes him to a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, look, these have been delivered to me. He said, I can give them to whomever I wish. And if you'll only bow down and worship me, they'll be yours. And Satan was saying to Jesus, look, I know you want the kingdoms. I know you want them. They're in my hand. I can give them to you. All you got to do is worship me. But Jesus knew that the reason that humanity had lost those kingdoms and the reason that they were now in Satan's hand and the reason we see so much evil in the world is not because God is doing it, but because man forfeited it because they traded the worship of God for the worship of this world. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to get the kingdoms back through you. I think I'll go another way. I think what I'll do is I'll worship God alone. And when I worship God alone, he will bring me into his perfect will and I will step back into the authority that you took from Adam because I'm the last Adam. And I will get those kingdoms, but when I get them back, they're going to be completely redeemed and not bound by sin. Amen. And then he goes on and Satan tempts him one last time. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, cast yourself down from here because it is written, he shall keep you with his angels and they shall keep you and guard you in, your hand, in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. And he's basically saying, look, Jesus, if you continue on this path, I'm going to kill you. If you continue on this path, it's not going to go good for you. And you better make sure that God is going to raise you up and do what he says he's going to do because I'm going to come after you. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, I don't have to test my God because I know what my God says is true. And I can trust him every day, no matter what happens to me in my life. Even when it gets bad and you come against me and every devil in hell has been set against me, I will stand true in God's word because my father cannot lie. Amen. And you resist those temptations. And he comes back in the power of the Spirit, and he has the mind of Christ. And when he comes back in the power of the Spirit, he says, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, but he's not upon me for my sake. He's upon me to preach the good news to the afflicted, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach recovery of sight to the blind, to release those that are captive. He's saying the Spirit of the Lord God is upon you for other people. That's the biggest point. In this entire message is that when God begins to move you, it's not about you or how great you can become. It's about how much you can begin to minister and serve and love others and seek God so that others might be free. I've got just a couple more things and I'm going to be done. I want you to turn to Isaiah 64. 
See, because what you need to understand is that the mind of Christ is our inheritance, but God is asking us as a church to press into the hidden things of God. He's asking us as a church to begin to move and press into these things and seek what God has for us. Now, I love this because now in the New Testament, when I'm reading, one of the things I love to do is if, if, is if somebody quotes anything from the Old Testament, I'm going to go back and read where that was quoted and what was said and why it was said. It's just one, it's a good Bible study tool, okay? So there's a verse in here that we read in 1 Corinthians 2. And here's what, here's what Isaiah says, chapter 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down, the mountains shook at your presence, for since the beginning of the world, notice, this is quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Now notice this. There's this cry that comes out in Israel. And some say, well, it may have been Isaiah, it may have been a, a holy remnant, but either way, what's going on is that people are coming to the temple, they're going to worship, but suddenly there's this cry that comes out and says, God, we need more than just religious ritual. God, you need to tear the heavens, rend the heavens and come down and let the mountains melt like wax at your presence. We need a real encounter with you. Have you ever gotten to that place in your walk with Jesus where you say, Lord, I'm so tired of the religious ritual. I need your presence. I need you to show up. I need you to move. I need an encounter with you. I don't want to just read the Bible. I don't want to just pray. I want to have an encounter with you. I want your spirit to come in your presence to melt these mountains that are in my heart and melt these mountains that are in our community. And these men begin to cry out. And he says, man, eyes not seen, ears not heard. It's not even entered the heart of man the things that God, that you're a God that acts for the one who waits for him. Now notice this because Paul says he doesn't use the word waits. He uses the word loves. And I believe that loves, love equals weight sometimes. This word weight, it means to adhere to, to long for, to wait like a hunter in ambush. We got some real hunters, right? And, and people, Donald loves hunting better than anybody I know. And that's, and Jeremy Baker comes in a close second, right? But these hunters, they know that when you go and you're waiting, people say, man, I hate hunting. You got to wait so long. It's not just regular waiting. It's a different kind of waiting, isn't it? Because you are attentive. You are alert. You're waiting for any move. And what he's saying is, this waiting is a seeking of God. Where even when you don't see God moving, you're waiting for any movement that might come by. Because you're ready to ambush him. You're ready to jump on him. You're going to adhere. You're going to stick to him like glue. Amen. He says, and God acts for those who long for him who wait for him, who search for him. And then in verse 7 it says this, and there's no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. That's just a good verse by itself. There's no one, Lord, who's calling on your name, who's stirring themselves up to take hold of you. I quote this verse a lot, Jeremiah 33, 3. I want you to read this. Now this, this verse is a simple verse. He says, cry unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things which you have not known. Now, if you start to do word studies, it really says this. If you call unto me, 
That word means to cry out to accost or to confront boldly. It's not a regular type of a call. Like, hey, Lord, what's up? This is when you get passionately stirred. You get passionately stirred and you call unto the Lord. And he says, and I will answer you and tell you and even show you great and mighty things. The word here is inaccessible things which have been confined and hidden. That's an amplified translation. Which you do not know and understand and cannot distinguish. He's saying when you finally get to the place where you're stirred enough to begin to call out to the Lord for things that you've not known, he says, I'm going to start to reveal to you inaccessible and hidden things that nobody else has seen or tapped into. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I get jacked up. I get excited because I'm thinking there are things that I've not even imagined, that if I can seek God and begin to press into His face, He's going to show me things that I've never even dreamed of in my life. And He's going to reveal these things to me. I want you all to come to the music. We're going to finish. See, Jesus, Jesus told His disciples, He said, listen, you guys need to go and you need to wait for the promise of the Father. And he says, it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when He comes, He's going to show you things that are of mine. And he's going to reveal them to you. He's going to reveal things to you that, that you can't even bear to hear right now. He's going to begin to open these things up to you. He's going to guide you into all truth. And it says that they went into the upper room. And they were in an upper room praying for 10 days. And it says they were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. They had decided that God's promise was worth waiting for. But when he told them to wait, what, he, what they did not do is go to an upper room and sit back in a recliner. They went and they began to intercede night and day until the promise came. And I'm telling you, God's, I'm asking God in prayer to stir us as a body of believers to look beyond ourselves, to die to ourselves even, so that we could begin to pray and seek God for the greater things, the things that He wants to do in our lives. And it says that on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they busted out of the upper room and they began to speak in tongues and languages that the people knew around them. And it says they were declaring the wonderful works of God. The wonderful works of God. In the Greek, it's megaleos. It means the anticipated outworkings of the inner life of Christ. They were seeing what God was going to do in them and through them in the future. Can you imagine that? <clears throat> imagine getting so filled with the Spirit of God that you start to declare what you know God is going to do in you and through you and through others in the future. And when people hear that, they get so excited that 3,000 of them get saved. Amen? Last verse and I'm done. We're going to pray. I about threw my voice out. I've got so excited. Praise God. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. It says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for He is torn, but He will heal us. He is stricken, but He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Now, look at this last verse. Then we shall know if we press on. And this word press on is that same hunting word. Pursue violently, chase and hunt to know the Lord. His coming to us is as certain as the rising of the sun. And he will come to us as the rain and an outpouring in our midst. That's a good verse. We shall know if we press on to know the Lord. And His coming to us is as certain as the rising of the sun. And I'm telling you, when He comes to you, you're going to have the mind of Christ. Your thoughts are going to change. How you view yourself is going to change. There's going to be a radical difference in how you see yourself. And when you see that, you're going to be willing to lay down anything, I'm telling you, for what God is asking you to do.
The question is, are you willing to lay it down? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I don't know who I really am. I want you to tell me who I really am. I want you to stand to your feet. I want us to pray together.